Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning. My name is Marty Baker, and I'd like to welcome you to Stevens Creek Church. I'd like to welcome all those in our South Campus and all those watching online. I'll tell you, for those in our South Campus, uh, next week is the day we're going to be dedicating our uh, our new facility, our renovated facility, and I'll tell you folks, it is beautiful. We've been working on that for about a year now, and so I am just so proud of uh, just the opportunity that God has for us, so that's next week. We're going to be dedicating that, that new building. Uh, many of you probably attended a, the EXO conference, uh, our marriage conference this past weekend, what a, a great event that was. And you know, EXO conference, last year, over 70,000 people participated in the EXO conference uh, through live streaming. And it just makes me so proud to have uh, two Stevens Creekers on main stage there, and that is uh, Dave and Ashley Willis. And, and the interesting thing this year is that because of the snow in Texas, that they could not make it to Texas, so they were live on our stage this past Friday. And I appreciate Dave and Ashley, and of course, you'll hear from them throughout the year. But uh, what a great opportunity to encourage relationships and inspire marriages. Speaking of marriages, did you hear about the 80-year-old woman that was on her fourth marriage? In fact, uh, the local reporter from the Lifestyle Edition said, hey, I want to do an interview on uh, your marriages. And they start off and says, what is the occupation of your current husband? And she said, I married a funeral director. I said, really? Well, what about the others? She said, well, the first time I married a banker, the second time I married a, a circus master, the third time I married a minister, and the fourth time I married a, a funeral director. She said, wait a minute. No, those people don't have anything in common. How did you end up marrying these people? She said, it was simple. One for the money, two for the show, three to get ready, and four to go. Give me a minute. <laughs> Sometimes they just hit you differently, you know? They just hit you differently. Sometimes they don't hit you at all. Well, today I want to talk about one of the biggest things that will keep you from having the best relationship possible. It'll keep you from really reaching your goals and having the best life possible and living the life that you were meant to be. You say, well, what's that? It's the greatest, I believe, the greatest tool in Satan's arsenal, and that is the tool of distraction. A distraction uh, is the thing that prevents you from giving your full attention to something else. It's that thing that prevents you from giving your full attention to something else. And I'm telling you, we live in a culture that has so many distractions, you can't hardly go through a day without having a distraction. I mean, in the next few minutes, some of you will be distraction, di distracted because of uh, checking your likes on a Facebook post or, or somebody has a new Instagram. 
you know, and it's just that, those things, those, uh, those promptings that cause us to think about other things and maybe uh, lose focus on what we're uh, supposed to do. And really, distraction is not that big a deal until it is. Until you find yourself five years down the road or 10 years down the road and you wonder, how in the world did I get here? Why is my life in such a mess? And if you would pull back the, uh, uh, the scenes there, maybe you would see that sometime in the past you had a, a moment where you were distracted and you ended up taking a road that you should never have been on. And you got distracted. And now, months later, maybe even years later, you are dealing with the decisions that you made years ago. Well, this message is a part of our Let's Rebuild series, and it's based on an ordinary character, an ordinary guy in the Old Testament named Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah, what we have learned, is was one of the greatest team builders in all of history. He gathered a group of people uh, to do a good work to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Now, Nehemiah was not hired to do this work, but he felt uh, during a time of prayer that he felt prompted or he felt called to do this. I believe that God is calling you into his work to do a good work. I believe that God is calling you uh, to do something in your world that will make your world a better place. I think we're all meant to give something back. We're all meant to make a contribution. God has given you unique talents. He's given you unique abilities. He's given you skills and experiences. And he uses all of that so that you can make a difference where you are. Now, he gives us an opportunity to do this, and this is really ministry. It's ministry when we can help other people and we can honor God. And so when you look at all your gifts and talents and skills and abilities, when you can help other people and honor God, that's what it's ministry. Maybe we can say it like this. Everything in your life can become a ministry if you do it to help others and to honor God. Everything in life can become a ministry if you do it to help others and to honor God. Do you know that tomorrow when you go to work, that your work can be a ministry, your work can be worship. Your work can be worship because you're giving honor to God for giving you the ability to create wealth. And so we understand his involvement and in we understand this in our lives. So Nehemiah understood all this and in chapter one, he took a leave of absence as the cupbearer to the king of Persia. Now, he was the cupbearer. That means he was the butler for the, the, the kingdom. And he took a leave of absence to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. Now, this was a massive undertaking. Everybody was so excited about this project. They were so excited until like, they got to the halfway point. Then discouragement set in, and they started to think about how big this project really uh, was and, and how hard it was, and, and they got discouraged on that. So Nehemiah responded, and he had to convince the people that wanted to quit to keep going. In chapter 4, uh, we see that as he was building the walls, there was a group of, of uh, people that didn't want the walls to go forward, didn't want the walls to be built. They were enemies, and they came from the outside. 
And so he had to learn how to deal with, with the people who ridiculed and criticized him from the outside. In chapter five, we looked at last week how the difficulties came from the inside of the people. It's the people in Jerusalem. Why was that? Because there was a shortage of food, because interest, uh, their interest rates were high, and that they were behind on their payments. And that pressure there caused them to turn on each other. And, uh, and a lot of strife developed in the community. So Nehemiah had to step in. He had to step in and calm things down so that they could move ahead with the project. In chapter 6, and that's our focus today, Nehemiah's enemies, Sanballat, uh, Tobiah, and now a third one, Geshem, they collude together to resist the work that Nehemiah was doing. They had already criticized him. They had already ridiculed him um, and tried to do whatever they could uh, to stop the work. So now their strategy changes, and now they're focused on creating distractions so that he would lose focus on the project. Now, a distraction is something that prevents you from giving your full attention uh, to something else. And so that's what they did. Here's the point. If your enemy cannot destroy you, he will distract you. If your enemy cannot destroy you, he will distract you. The devil will do whatever he can to get you to take your eyes off of your mission, off of your purpose, off of your calling, off of doing God's will in your life. He'll do whatever he can to get you to lose focus. So we pick up the story in Nehemiah chapter 6. It said, when the word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, that the rest of the enemies that I had rebuilt the wall... All the enemies found out that, that Nehemiah had done what he said. He rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it. Though up at that time, I had not set the doors um, in the gates. So in other words, he's finished the construction on the wall, but in Jerusalem, if you've been there, you'll see the larger wall around there. There's 12 gates around the city. And so at this point, he had not set the gates up so the enemies could still come in at any time. Next verse, verse two. Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plains of Ono. In essence, they're saying, hey, Nehemiah, I want you to stop building just for a little bit. Just take a little respite there. Stop doing the work of God. I want you to meet us and let's talk about all this and let's just figure all of this out. So in some ways, the enemy was being somewhat friendly. Let's, let's meet together. Let's talk this out. On the surface, it seemed like a logical request. And I am sure some people would say, Nehemiah, you need to take up, uh, take time to do this. This is important. You need to meet with your enemies. Maybe this is an opportunity that you have to convert your critics. Maybe you can expand your influence. Now, if this were in our day, this is what they would be saying. Nehemiah, this is an opportunity for you to build your brand, to extend your follower, the followers. You can do this, Nehemiah. You can just meet with them, build your brand. But Nehemiah saw what was going on. 
He understood that this, there was something more to this request than what it appeared that their motives were not right, that their motives were sinister. And Nehemiah understood his calling. He understood what he was um, uh, prompted to do. And, and he was all in because, see, he had already prayed about this. He had already gotten permission to take time off from work. He had already gotten the resources. They had already started the work, almost finished the work. And so he recognized that this invitation to go meet with them on the plains of Ono, it was a distraction. But he didn't allow it to influence him because Nehemiah knew what he had to do. He, was, he knew what he was called to do. And he was committed to finishing the task that was at hand. Here's the point. When you do not know where you're going, okay, hear this. When you don't know where you're going, distractions tend to look like opportunities. When you don't know where you're going, you don't have any clue, you're just kind of wandering through life and you're just going from this place to this other. And um, when you don't know where you're going, distractions tend to look like opportunities. If you're going to succeed in life, you need to, to have discernment to know the difference between a distraction and an opportunity. Because I am telling you, oftentimes the enemy, your enemy, Satan himself, will come to distract you. In fact, the Bible says that he comes as an angel of light to deceive the very elect of God. And so we have to be very sensitive and discerning that we discern what God is doing in our lives and we discern when, when uh, Satan comes to attack we have to have that sense of discernment because when you don't, uh, if you don't know where you're going, distractions can look like opportunities. And if you embrace that, it'll take you down the wrong road. One of my constant prayers is this, God, open the doors that you want me to walk through. God, open the doors that you want me to walk through, but God, please close them tightly that you want me to stay away from. God, make it clear. Make it clear because I, I can't, I can't um, base this on my emotions. I can't base this a lot of times on my experience. I need to know what you are doing. Because you see, God has a calling for your life. God has a purpose for your life. And Satan will do whatever he can to get you distracted so that you will lose focus on the very purpose that you have been created for. Well, back to the story, the enemies asked Nehemiah for a meeting and he rejected the meeting. He said, well, why did he do that? Because he knew it was a distraction. He recognized that they were looking to get him off of the job. Now, here's an interesting thing. If you understand, Nehemiah was up on the mountain uh, working on the gates, on the wall. So these critics, Sanballat like Geshem, they were literally down. So this is a word picture in this. They, the critics were down below and they were shouting up and sending messengers, say, hey, come meet with us. Anytime that you start, anytime you start answering your critics, you will go down. You have to go down. Anytime you start answering your critics, you always have to go down to their level. And folks, you have critics. You have people that ridicule you. You have negative influences that come against you. 
And we are all tempted to get down where they are, to go down to their level and to interact with them and try to defend ourselves. Every time you reach down to, uh, to interact with them, you're going down to their level. And you've got to understand there will always be somebody against you. There will always be somebody. There will always be somebody working against you. Now, I have lived this life where I just think, I, I want you to like me. I want those folks watching online to like me. And I just look at everybody with the, the lens that's saying, I know you like me. <laughs> I, you know, and this could be a fault of mine. But I just believe the best and everything. But one day, Patty spoke truth. And sometimes you need somebody to speak truth to you. And so you can call her up and she'll speak truth to you. She has a lot of experience in that. A lot of experience. She said to me, she said, Marty, you think that everybody likes you, but they don't. That's the truth, right? You said that. And sometimes it takes that that rude awakening um, for you to really move in the direction you need to move in and understand not everybody in this world likes you. There's gonna be somebody against you. And oftentimes, they're working to make you look bad. They're working to get you distracted. And if you go down and fight with them, you are fighting a battle that God never intended for you to fight. You're just wasting time and your time is valuable. You may never convince that person. You may never convince that person to like you. You're wasting time. Your destiny is too important. Your assignment is too great to get involved in battles that do not matter. That's what I'm talking about here. Getting involved in battles that do not matter. Here's the point. Don't waste time trying to convince the wrong people. Don't waste your time trying to convince the wrong people. Just run your race. Just run your race. Keep honoring God. Uh, keep being your best. And I believe if you do this, God is going to defend you. God will fight your battles for you. You've got to put your confidence and you've got to put your trust in him. That's what Nehemiah did. And Sanballat and Geshem said, come on, let's meet together. Let's meet together. And Nehemiah responded. So I sent messengers, this is verse three. I sent messengers to them with this reply. I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and I go down to you? Nehemiah said, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. I want you to hear that again. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. I want you to hear that. But I not only want you to hear it, I want you to put it in your spirit. What's really important in your life? Think about that. Think about that thing. 
or that person. Think about that thing that is really important in your life. And then think about those people that come to you to try to convince you to do something else. And they try to, hey, come meet with me over on the plane somewhere. How are you going to respond to that opportunity? How are you going to respond? I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. That's what you need to say. I'm doing a great work. You need to understand that those things that you're doing right now are great things. Those things are important in your family, important in your life. Those are great things. Those are important things. That's what I want you to be focused on. And when the enemy comes in to try to distract you, that you just respond, nope, I am doing a great work and I'm not going to come down. I am doing a great work. They said, Nehemiah, come on down. Come on, Nehemiah. He said, no. Okay, let's just have a meeting. No. Oh, why don't you uh, come over here? No, 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 no. I am doing a great work. The ability to say no is one of the most important skills that you need to develop in your life in order to move forward. The ability to say no. Nehemiah said no, and they kept on. And Here's the point. You will grow more with your no's than you will with your yeses. You'll grow more with your no's than you will with your yeses. Look at the, the life of Jesus. Jesus had the ability to say no. Jesus would be out on, uh, on the side of a mountain preaching to people and healing them, and crowds would be there. But there would come a point where he said, I'm not going to do any more. And I'm sure the disciples said, wait a minute, there's, there's hundreds of people that need to be healed and saved. He said, no, I need to go spend time with my heavenly father. I need alone time. And so Jesus saw the importance of saying no to what was pressing. The crowds were pressing in on him in order to say yes to what was important. What was important is for him to connect with his heavenly father. If you're always available to everyone, eventually you'll have nothing to give to anyone. If you're always available to everybody, you'll have nothing to give to anyone. We've got to be strategic about our no's. We don't say no because we don't care. We say no because we do care. And we care so much that we want to put the most important things first. We want to be able to do what God has called us to do, what God has equipped us to do. He's given us the strength and the talents and the abilities. We want to help people and honor God. And so we want to stay focused on those important things. Now, those, these enemies came to Nehemiah four different times. They were relentless. He said, no. Well, what about next weekend? Well, how about the weekend after next? How about this? How about two Thursdays from now? Can you just squeeze some time in on your calendar? Can you just find an opening on your calendar? But you see, for Nehemiah, this was not a calendar conflict. Not at all. 
This was not about scheduling. This was about priorities. And Nehemiah had pre-decided what was the most important thing that he needed to do. He didn't have to check his calendar to make sure uh, to keep working or, or to have this meeting. He didn't have to check that. He knew his priorities. Here's the truth. If Nehemiah would have had that meeting, they would have killed him. And the wall would not have been finished. And I realize that none of us are truly making, or very few of us are making life and death decisions like that. But there is some parallel to this story to our lives. Because if you continue to pursue certain hobbies, if you continue to pursue certain pastimes, or certain relationships, or certain invitations, if you continue to pursue, uh, to allow certain invitations, I believe those invitations will kill your chances of experiencing the life and the future that you've dreamed of. Because ultimately and honestly, those invitations are just distractions. And the Bible says that, that bad company will corrupt good character. And so if you continue to embrace those uh, certain invitations that are taking you down the wrong road, it's going to rob you of your future. So just make note of that. Because I'm doing a great work and I just cannot come down. I'm doing a great work that I cannot come down. So parents, when you are tucking your kids in tonight, I want you to think those words. As you tuck that child in, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Husbands, when you're at work tomorrow and you see that family picture on your desk, I want you to look at that picture and I want you to say, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Wives, when you look at your husband and you say, he sure is a piece of work, <laughs> why would, what would he do without me? After you say that, think, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Singles, you have a picture in front of you. You have a picture of a preferred future. And the enemy will do whatever he can to distract you. So when that distraction comes, I want you to look at that picture of your preferred future and say, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. High school students, you have this picture of what your life can be like. I want you to keep that picture in mind and say, I know that there's a great work that I will be doing and I cannot come down. There's a great work. Nehemiah refused to come down to meet with these guys. Let's, verse four, four times they sent me the same message and each time I gave them the same answer. Next verse, verse five. Then the fifth time, they were relentless. The fifth time, Sanballat sent um, his aide to me with the same message, and in his hand there was an unsealed letter, letter in which was written, it is reported among 
the nations. And notice this, I think this is kind of humorous. And Geshem says it's true. You always need your enemy to just speak lies to you. And Geshem says it's true. So it must be, if Geshem says it's true, it must be true. Geshem says it's true. Uh, That you and the Jews are plotting a revolt, Nehemiah. And therefore you're building the wall to revolt. And not only that, you have plans to become the king. And that's why you're doing this. And so they took this and they shared a rumor that Nehemiah wanted to be the king. And when Nehemiah heard this rumor, he just ignored it. He ignored it. Now that is hard to do, isn't it? Because if you're like me, when you hear a rumor, you want to jump in and clarify the situation. But Nehemiah knew at this point in his life, if he was going to get involved in that conversation, it was going to keep him from doing what he was called to do. It was going to keep him from living out his purpose. They continued. When that didn't work, they told him, they said, look, there's a plot against you. You're going to be assassinated, Nehemiah. Here's what, and they paid a prophet to do this, a false prophet, and they paid him and said, Look, this is what you need to tell them. You need to go to the temple and you need to hold on to the horns of the altar because they had a law back then that even if you were guilty of some kind of crime, if you had run to the temple and you had hold on to the horns of the altar, uh, they could not get you, could not arrest you. And they were saying, Nehemiah, they're going to kill you. You need to go hold on, uh, go, go, go to the temple. And he ignored them. Why is that important? Because you see, Nehemiah was not going to go to the temple and hold on to the horns of the altar because then they would say, yes, he is guilty. He stayed focused on what he was called to do. He ignored all of the naysayers. He ignored the negative influences. He ignored the, the ridicule and the critics. We drop down to verse 15, and this is what we see. So the wall was completed. The wall was completed on the 25th of Yule, which is October, in 52 days. The wall was completed in 52 days. Now, what I loved about this story is that when you look at this, Nehemiah is an ordinary guy. He is an ordinary guy. He was a butler for the king of Persia. He was not a general contractor. He was not a prophet or a priest, any of that. He was an ordinary guy. And when I read this story, I realize that there are no supernatural miracles from heaven. You read this story, there's no talking donkeys, there's no fire from heaven, there's no burning bush, there's no Red Sea that's parted, there's no water from a rock, there's no uh, manna from heaven or bricks that would come down and set itself from heaven. None of that. He was an ordinary guy who had the gracious hand of God on him. Drop down to the next verse, verse 16. When all of our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations, when they heard about this, meaning the wall was complete, they heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and they lost their confidence because they realized that this work, this work had been done with the help of our God. I want you to understand 
that you can call on the Lord and he will help you today. So whatever that you're faced with, you can get through this with the help of the Lord. But you've got to ignore those distractions and all the ridicule and the, and the criticism that comes against you because there are negative people that will do whatever they can to get you to go down to their level. And if you can open yourself up to a power that's greater than yourself, open yourself up to the anointing of the Lord, one touch of God's favor can change your life forever. And he will give you the confidence and the strength to do things that you never thought possible. Just one touch. I'll never forget, I was called in ministry probably about somewhere between the eighth grade and ninth grade. But I never told very many people that I was called in the ministry. I was just not bold enough to tell people that. I told a couple of close friends and we had a, a teacher named Mrs. Simmons who taught English lit and composition. And she was not friendly um, to church. Okay, And so we had another student in the class, Calvin Moore, who was called in the ministry, became a Southern Baptist pastor. And she would beat on him every day. Well, God, well, what does the Bible say about this? Or what is this? And just, you know, just kind of beat on him all, all during the year. So finally, Calvin reached his boiling point one day. He looked up and says, wait a minute. He says, why don't you say something to Marty? He's called in the ministry too. And it's like, I'm just, you know, put my head down at that point. And she just started laughing out loud. And she said, Marty, she said, if you interpret the Bible like you interpret my poetry, I feel sorry for your congregation. <laughs> I kind of laugh at her now. Not laugh at her, but I, I smile when I see what one touch of God's anointing can do. Can take someone that did not come from the best school, did not have opportunities that other people would have, but one touch of God's anointing can open up doors for you that you never dreamed possible. And I think about my hometown had 5,000 people in it that at Christmas before last, our Christmas Eve service had over 5,000 people in it. And I just see how God's touch can take a small town boy and open up doors that he never dreamed possible. God will do the same thing for you. Some of you lack confidence. Some of you don't have um, the outward abilities but if you'll call on the name of the Lord, I honestly believe 
I honestly believe that with his power and his strength that he will open the doors that he has for you and you'll be able to walk in his anointing. You'll be able to walk in his purpose for your life and your life will be changed forever. And you realize that Nehemiah had the gracious hand of God on him. In fact, in this verse, he said, because of the help of the Lord, how are you gonna get out of debt You're gonna get out of debt with the help of the Lord. How are you gonna restore that relationship? You're gonna restore that relationship with the help of the Lord. How are you gonna break that addiction? You're gonna break that addiction with the help of the Lord. How are you gonna accomplish your dreams? You're gonna accomplish your dreams with the help of the Lord. Stop trying to do it on your own. You'll never be able to accomplish everything that God has for you as long as you're doing it with the arm of the flesh. God wants to touch you with the arm of the spirit and give you a power that is greater than yourself so that you can walk out of here with a confidence and a boldness that said, yes, God, we have got this. Yes, God, we can overcome this. Yes, God, we're gonna win. Yes, God, we're gonna push through this. And we're going to do that with the help of the Lord. And today, that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna call on him and he's gonna answer us and show us great and mighty things that we don't even know. The Bible says, ask. And today we're going to ask, God, help me. We're going to ask, God, heal me. We're going to ask, God, save me. God, forgive me. Some of you have been distracted and you today have found yourself on a road that looks differently than the road you first imagined you'd be on. And to those of you The Lord is calling you to turn around. You don't have to stay where you are. Just turn around. Do you know the Bible has a word for that? When you start turning, they call that conversion. And when you make that about face and start walking in a new direction, the Bible calls that repentance. Jesus came with a turnaround message. And with his power and his grace, you can have a turnaround life. Your life can be changed. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, today is your day to say, Jesus, save me. Say, Jesus, forgive me. Say, Jesus, make me into the kind of person that you'd have me to be. And today, your life can be different. We're gonna pray. And I'm going to pray for people to be saved today. And then I'm going to pray for people who are struggling to make decisions about your next step. And we're going to pray that God's going to give you clarity about your next step and give you the boldness to take it. Are you ready? Let's bow our heads. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for those in our South Campus. I pray for those in this room and those watching online specifically for people who have never been saved. Now, if that's you, I want you to pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, save me. Say that. Say, Jesus, save me. Forgive me for my sins. Say that. Forgive me. Pray this. Say, Jesus, make me into the kind of person that you would have me to be. I give you my life. Say, I give you my life. I give you my past. I trust you with my future. 
And Father, as they pray that prayer, I pray that in the name of Jesus, uh, that lives are being changed right now through the miracle of salvation, through the free gift of the forgiveness of sins. Now, I pray for others today that are struggling. They have this desire that they want to serve you, Lord. But they need clarity and they need insight. I ask and I pray for them that you would open the doors that they're to walk through and you're to give them the confidence and the boldness to step out in faith. I pray, God, that you'd give them power. I pray for those that are are struggling with conflict and they've been the victim of criticism and ridicule. I pray, Father, that you would be a shield of protection around them, that when their enemies uh, throw those darts at them, that they would fall off, that they would recognize that they are a child of the Most High God. I pray, Father, that you would come and give us strength as we take on this week and give us confidence as we believe uh, that you are working through us. So we ask that you would answer these prayers and we pray in the strong name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen. God bless you today. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to stevenscreekchurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.